You're listening to episode 256 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we move away from the Rossum Corporation and take a look at another show that explores the impact of technology when combined with the human brain, and that is, of course, Reverie. However, there's not much of a Reverie here in Maryland. Steamy, steamy, steamy. (laughs) Yeah, it's gross. Um, You know, I just was in Boston for the weekend, and the weather was very pleasant up there, though I guess people said it was hot, but it was like in the mid-80s. And then, of course, uh, the minute we got out of the car in Maryland, it felt like I was walking to a, a wall of, of, of mush. It's like trying to breathe cotton. A wall of oppression. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we, you know, again, go on about our sad tale of bad weather here in maryland uh love to hear from you guys emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com go to the website leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab record your own audio clip tweet us at sci-fi tv rewatch join the facebook group and get into the discussions there uh and then you haven't done this for a few weeks but you know quick shout out to all our patreon patrons we really appreciate it we'll go ahead and read the names next time but uh you know we're never going to charge for content, as we said. And, you know, if you're interested, you can go to the website, look for the Patreon link on the right side of the page, or go to patreon.com slash sci-fi TV rewatch. And that is P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon. All right. So I'll go ahead and start with my tip of the week this time. And okay. it's a show I can't remember whether you watch or not, but that's Preacher on amc mm-hmm. now are you oh yeah i watch preacher are you caught up love it um no okay now i saw episode one but i have not seen the second episode all yet. right so the first two episodes of season three have aired and if you like violence supernatural <laughs> and quirkiness this definitely might be the show for you and for me i i was watching season one you know a couple years ago and i was surprised that my wife got into it and we started season two and season two got really violent really quickly and well yeah like right out of the gate and and we made it through the first four and then stopped and i ended up erasing them from my dvr because i thought well i'm not going to watch them she's not going to want to watch them sure so of course she sees me watching episode one the other night because michael and i are going to be talking about it later on and she's like, oh, my God, I love this show. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but if you don't know, it stars Dominic Cooper as Jesse Custer, a.k.a. Preacher, and Ruth Nega as Tulip. And Jesse takes over the pulpit from his dead father. And the, the catch here is that Jesse and Tulip are, are basically these low-life criminals that have been friends since childhood. Hey. They are. Come on. Low life. Uh, And they set off on an adventure that brings them into contact with everybody from angels to a vampire to his grandmother that can bring people back from the dead. And at the end of it, though, Preacher shows Jesse's search for God in this earthly wasteland. It's it's just such an unusual show. Dominic Cooper is just great. You probably remember him uh, from Agent Carter. And Ruth right. Nega, of course, uh, did she win the Academy Award? Or I know she was nominated. I can't remember whether she won or not. But 
Anyway, Preacher AMC, that's my tip of the week. Yeah, that, that is a great one. Um, I'm going to kind of go two, but the, the one first is very quick because it's a book um, I just actually finished after uh, months and a sketchy recheck out from the library. I finished um, 112263 by Stephen King. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It was long, man. It was it was like 800 plus pages, but it was really good. I liked it. You know, I, I am a middling fan of Stephen King. I, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a super huge fan. Um, I've read some of his stuff, but I really liked 11, uh, 63. I had already seen the TV show and, uh, but it's been a while. I couldn't really remember a lot about it. So it was cool. I liked it. But definitely a, if, uh, you're looking for a, it's a great summer book. Uh, you know, like it, uh, though it is long, but it, it reads very easily. It's not a super deep, you know, it's like Stephen King doesn't really go super deep, you know, but uh, always entertaining, well-written, a lot of fun. Not long by Stephen King standards, however. True. Right. So. By Stephen King probably would be considered a novella. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you, you said the you next had a thing second one. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. A quick second one is uh, I've watched last night the first three episodes of my man Luke Cage season two. Uh, uh, nice. So good. Love Luke Cage. Uh, probably my favorite uh, character in the Marvel Universe as it is on Netflix. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Jessica Jones. I, I, I mean, I don't know. That's They're one and call. two. That, that's a tough call to make. Uh, uh, I like them all, but Luke Cage, I think, is probably, as far as the most complete show, as, like, there's other, th- like, with the music and the acting and the the cinematography, I think artistically just kind of combines all those elements the best. Especially the music. Uh, they just, they weave in the music so well. And, you know, like hip hop music and, uh, you know, just really awesome. And it ties right in with the story that you don't even really notice it. Uh, just really, really love it. So, yeah. And uh, the secondary characters are, are just so Rosario Dawson and, oh, and yeah. uh, God, I can't think of the, uh, the one that lost her arm. Gosh, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, Oh, the, the actress's the, name. The, I definitely can't remember the actress's name. I'm just struggling to remember the, the character's <laughs> name. But yeah. But, so, all right. So, yeah, I, I've got to get to Luke Cage. And again, that's another one my wife, once she saw me watching it, really got hooked on it. And uh, along with Jessica Jones, uh, that's that, those are, I think, one and two. And whichever order you place them in, you, you really can't go wrong. Right. So. Hey, especially Rosario Dawson, how she weaves in and out of all those stories and um you know even luke said to her like what is it about you you know that like he because he, they're, they're experiencing some relationship issues um and uh you know he's like basically suggesting that she's some kind of fangirl who chases around uh extraordinary people or something but um you know uh, ultimately you know that this relationship is doomed because we know that Luke Cage and Jessica Jones get married in in the end, so it's you know it's it's tough to see. And and when now that we're starting to see some of these fissures in, in their relationship, like we think, oh, is is this going to be it? And I also i i uh, I'm concerned for the the safety of of her character as well. But uh, anyway, okay. 
All right, well, let's get to Reverie, the show we were planning on talking about tonight. And it airs on NBC Wednesdays at 10 o'clock Eastern, which, you know, given the nature of the show, you'd think it'd be a little edgier. So, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, like most shows these days, people are time shifting in any way. But <laughs> this one was created by Mickey Fisher, who created Extant, which is a show that uh, I covered with Michael. And he also... Uh, helped create Mars on Nat Geo. I, I don't know if you saw that, did you? No. Oh, it's really good because what it does is it, it combines reality with fiction. So in other words, you know, if we're going to get out into space, we need to colonize Mars. So how do we do it? And what you learn in the course of this series is that there are already plans in place to do that. And, uh, you know, rocket uh, X is that what it's called? The company Elon Musk's. Company? Oh, SpaceX is it? SpaceX. You know they're involved, uh, and, and you know they go through all the little details, and you think, okay, well that's doable. Oh, okay, yeah. that's doable. And then what it does is it jumps ahead to when they've actually done it in 2033, I think uh, it is, okay. and then it picks up with kind of a fictional story with the astronauts that are now living on Mars. Uh, really, really cool. good. Cool. Um, all right, and this one aired May 30th, 2018. So Reverie got a 10-episode order for the first season, and, you know, it's an interesting premise, and I'm just going to throw it out there. I know you've only seen the first episode. I've seen the first five, so I'm not going to spoil... But I am going to give perhaps a little more insight that comes with having seen five episodes. So, uh, you know, just everybody can keep that in mind. So for my taste, it's a concept that relies a little too heavily on a procedural case of the week structure. And and Fred's going to address this in his feedback. Now, granted, each week does have a subtle twist. And even though there are clearly several compelling arcs in play. For me, the show's strength lies in its casting. And, you know, we'll get to that in a second because there are some actors that are going to be recognizable to a lot of the audience. And, and you know, you certainly mentioned one from uh, 24, 24, Dennis Haysbert yeah. playing Charlie yeah. Ventana. Right. But, you know, before we get into it, uh, you know, for me, and I don't know, for you just one episode in, it was really easy to care about these characters. I mean, I mean, are, do you like them? Nope, not really. None of them? <laughs> no, I like um, who, the Hammond, Paul Hammond. Okay. I, I kind of found him engaging. Uh, I found Lexi uh, not fun at all. Okay. Didn't like her one bit. And I'm sure, and that's... It, that seems that's like intended. They, they, right, exactly. They, that's intended, right? You know, Dennis Haysbert, usually he just has to appear on screen, and I like him, but didn't really like Charlie very much. You know? Okay. Not, not, not a fan. Though, I mean, and it's not, like I'm saying, this is not a factor of the actors or anything. Um, I thought Dennis Haysbert did a great job playing him, uh, but just I wasn't feeling the character, especially when he rings in. As uh, Mara's trying to talk down her brother-in-law, we'll, we'll talk. I mean, I'm not. I, I, I was just like okay on, on this show overall. Okay, well, uh, we'll get to we'll get to the individual characters yeah. in a second. Okay, but uh, I, I mean, one of the things that Reverie 
does is forces us, like a lot of the shows that we watch, to consider the inherent dangers of technology. But here it also explores the good that can come with an immersion in a virtual situation. And certainly for us coming off of Dollhouse, you know, there were moments where we could see the good that the dollhouse could do. Of course, it got you know taken over by people that had their own agenda, and, and it certainly spiraled out of control. But you know, th- there were things that that really could help people, and you know, I think we see more of that with uh, Reverie. Certainly, on one hand, it can be viewed as a show like Black Mirror, which pretty much focuses on technology and how it negatively impacts our lives right but uh well and that's and you know good thing you brought in black mirror i was gonna say that because i guess the thing that i kind of didn't necessarily was not 100 percent down with is that this show borrowed so heavily from other things you know like that whole thing of of downloading a person i mean that's straight from black mirror it's it's tough to say that that wasn't an influence as the the episode with uh uh Domhnall Gleeson and um oh uh, Agent Carter um Haley Atwell um you know her her boyfriend husband husband boyfriend dies and oh that's one I did see yes right yeah and and so basically you know she they, the this company takes everything that's about him online and they and they get her to you know give up some personal information and they're able to recreate him as an artificial intelligence and you know and ultimately putting him inside a you know uh, um, a, well, at the, what they call a skin suit on Westworld so and then you know like the inception uh so many scenes like i thought were pretty much just right out of inception here and of course uh yeah you know, I, you know, I, I don't even know if we should really criticize a show nowadays that deals with artificial intelligence or you know digital realities and criticize it for borrowing from the matrix because i think the matrix is just so overwhelmingly influential with all that whole genre that you know you can't really say but you know so those three things, I just, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I get, you don't know whether it's a kind of a homage on the one hand or just plain unoriginal on the other, you know, and I'm not really not sure which way I'm going with judging on, on this one. Right. And, and look, if you've been listening to our podcast for any length of time, you know, we've covered a lot of pilots and we understand that things can take a different direction. We're just speaking to this episode. But as a pilot, it does have to engage you if you're going to keep going. And, and you know, your criticisms are certainly fair. But I think before we go too far, uh, you know, for the listeners that haven't seen it yet, let's talk a little bit about what reverie actually is so that we've got this company onira tech and they've developed reverie which is a software program that creates an immersive virtual reality now people basically it looks like they've got an ipad and they enter this virtual reality and the basis of the pilot is that people are getting trapped in reverie and in the real world, it appears they're in a coma. So the main character, and we'll get to the characters in a minute, 
she's tasked with going in and bringing them out. So what we find is that Reverie 2.0 has been designed as a multi-user, even though it hasn't been released on the market yet. And that's what allows Mara Kent to go into the reality of the coma victim with the intention of bringing them back to the real world. Do we call them victims, though? Well, that's a good question, because I I think one of the things that, that certainly comes up for me is, why do individuals seek out the reverie experience in the first place? I, I, I mean, I think certainly if you've done any study of virtual realities, that by and large, I think we know where the virtual reality world is headed first, and that is the sexual experience. Yeah. Yes. Right? And yeah. then after that, it's probably more along the lines of what Westworld offers, which is, I guess, kind of a combination of the two, right. violent behavior yeah. and Sex the sexual and experience. Right. I- exactly. So to, answer, to ask that question, why do they seek out that experience? It could be for a lot of different reasons. And I think you know, we mentioned Black Mirror. One is to relive an experience with a dead loved one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what we see here. And so we get why, <clears throat> why that guy's there. Um, what we find out is, you know, they've, again, inception here where – you know, two days in the reverie is more like two weeks in the real world. He he had no idea how long his actual body was in there. So it's it's not that he doesn't understand that w- this world isn't real. He's fully aware that the reverie world is is not a real world. He understands that, and of course, he likes being there. But he just had no idea how long he was there, or that he was. Uh, endangering himself by staying there right and you know one of the things that that i mentioned at the top of the discussion that i've seen five episodes and, and it really does evolve into a case of the week and ordinarily that's not something that appeals to me and I, i'm still a little conflicted about it but we've got an episode about a, a young woman that's searching for the father she never knew we've got you know another guy that's lost his job heavily in debt and he is using it as an escape but not necessarily in the way you might think it's he's trying to do something for someone that he loves so they're all different reasons the question then becomes and and you mentioned that the real time and reverie time often are vastly different do these people go in with the deliberate intention of staying in for a while or is it accidental well we don't really know you know at, at that point i mean we don't really right. find out well for for this first guy it it's pretty clear <clears throat> that he did not intend to stay there right like he tells her like i know i know it's not real it's not making me feel better it's it's not like i feel like i've got her back and once she says, well, you're, you're killing yourself. You've been here two weeks. You're in a coma and you're going to die. He pretty much immediately leaves. So it's, at least for this first guy, it, it totally seems like he just kind of got hung up there, had no idea uh, that he was damaging himself in the real world by staying there. And really, if you only thought you were there a couple days, like, then why would you think that you were harming yourself out there, you know? Sure. 
Like it seems like the people at Reverie didn't do a great job of explaining that, you know. Well, but I think that's something that does get addressed and, and explained as the series moves on. And, and again, I, we've mentioned several times the procedural aspect. Look, if, if you look at the popular television shows out there, obviously a lot of viewers like the procedural format. So for me, it's not necessarily something I gravitate towards, but that doesn't mean you're not going to like it. So you know, keep that in mind. Now, I know you were shocked when we find out that the Department of Defense has a vested interest in reverie. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was completely shocking. But um, and again, kind of what I was saying about some of the you know, derivative aspects of, of the show, you know, that in the end, oh, of course, the government wants in on this tech. How did I not see that one coming? Right. And, and at this point, we don't know the extent of its involvement. You, you do find out fairly quickly, uh, you know, down the road. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to go ahead and spoil that. But at this point, the, the DOD simply hovers in the shadows, peeking out every once in a while, making veiled threats. And, you know, certainly we've mentioned Dennis Haysbert, who uh, plays Charlie. He's generally not a character you like to threaten. Right. True. And, and, well, he's a big guy. He is a like, big guy. Know, and he's, he's got he's that an, voice. He's an imposing. Yeah. He's an imposing person uh, overall. So, so yeah, absolutely. I always think if they ever need a voice to replace James Earl Jones in Star Wars, right. this is your guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and, you know, he was David Palmer, for crying out loud. Like, he was just this super iconic character, though I guess the further we get away from, you know, 2001, that first season of 24 – you know, I don't know if we can consider it iconic because probably, you know, just like, like I know the kids nowadays haven't seen it, right? They, right. And they don't know. But um, but for the rest of us, man, you know, like David Palmer, he was like our favorite character in 24. You know, like we just absolutely uh, loved him. And this spoiler alert at the beginning of, I think, season five, when he gets freaking assassinated is still like I'm still scarred from that, you know? I don't necessarily think it's fair to compare him to the doctor, but it's almost like he's my president in terms right. of 24. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe it's because he's the first, but not necessarily because Christopher Eccleston is not my doctor, even though he was my first. <laughs> That's what she said. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, well, of course they, well, who they follow? Oh, they follow him up with that, like the guy who's like, clearly supposed to be like nixon right that that uh, right <laughs> slimy guy and everything but then his his brother then was uh present there for a bit i think at least he was right right, right. wayne wayne yeah <laughs> which he was also uh extremely awesome and he also got popped as well yeah. um so yeah the 24 made this uh kind of you know tradition of getting us to really like characters and then and then killing them so. Okay. But uh, in terms of the characters here in Reverie, one of the things that I thought about just based on this first episode is whether or not the characters are all operating out of some level of guilt. Uh, you mentioned Lexi as being unlikable, and, and certainly she comes across that way. But did she design Reverie and the AI to compensate for her twin brother's death? 
why does Mara oh, twin brother, eh? Yeah, why does Mara continue to see her dead niece Bryn? Yeah. So so there there's a lot there. One of the things that I think should be explained is how reverie works. And again, this is I don't want to say straight out of Black Mirror, but it, it, it kind of is. is. A little bit, yeah. A lot that bit. users upload photos, videos, social media posts, anything related to their lives and the people in them. And then that allows the software to create a virtual environment and it fills in the gaps where it needs to. And then the user connects via an implanted BCI brain computer interface. And the title of episode one is Apertus. And that is the key word that you say when you want to enter reverie. Right. The, the trigger word, if you will. And then Exodus, yes. of course, is when you want to leave. And Mara is getting very adept at taking things right up to the last possible second before leaving. And one right. of the questions, and, and we still don't have an answer, if you get shot in reverie, what happens to you in real life? Right. So that, that still hasn't really. Right. Cause when know. she's falling, you know, she says Exodus right before she hits the ground. And uh, when she's drowning, she says Exodus right before she drowns. So yeah. Um, you know, based on every other science fiction show that has dealt with people delving into their subconscious or whatever, obviously it's not good if you, you know, die in, in the fake world. Right. But is it like the Matrix where you die in the fake world, you die in the real world? You know, it's Morpheus says the body cannot exist without the mind, right? So Yes. Um but I, I it it seems like maybe not so much. But you could always yell Exodus whenever you want. So it seems like um unless you get your head chopped off that you're 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 good, you know? Or can you? And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, All right. So, so why don't we talk about some of the characters? And, and I think based on our conversation so far, I, I like them a bit more than you did, maybe a lot more than you did. Uh, well, you're also five episodes in. Well, well I am. I only watched the one. So you've gotten to you've, – you've seen more of these characters. I have. That's, that's true. Now, and, and that's what I'm saying. For, for my part, I will tr- stop being so judgmental about them because – you know, like again, and we said this all the time. It is you cannot judge a show based just on the pilot, and you can't judge these characters. And certainly, I said Lexi was unlikable, but yet at the end, there we, you know, there, there's a little something I felt for her at the end. There, she's crawling into her embryonic bed and talking to her apparently dead brother. You know, right? Um, you know that that humanizes her quite a bit. Right, but that said. There are so many things out there to watch that these days the pilot really has to hook you right away. Uh, sure. I mean, everything you've said is absolutely true, and we've talked about it many times. But, you know, you, you can't depend that the viewer is going to give you five episodes. And right. then, well, especially with the attention spans as they are nowadays. Like, <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. All right, well, let's start talking about uh, Mara Kent, the main character played by Sarah Shahi, who you guys might know her from Person of Interest, which is a show that neither of us watch. I've seen the pilot, but that was a couple years I ago. I said she was on the blacklist. 
did I say blacklist person of interest? I did say person blacklist. Okay. Yep. Uh, person of interest. And, yes. And she is a former police hostage negotiator who's now teaching a college class in communication when she's approached by her former boss with a job proposal. And yeah, right so away, like, well, go ahead. right away, like, okay, so we see her doing the pop the pills, wash down booze, pop some more pills. It's like, oh, okay, here we go. The damaged hero. I've never seen that one before. And then she's teaching her class and she's having them basically play mafia, which is like the, I don't have a lesson plan today. Here's what we're going to do. Like, which I've never done, but like literally never done. But I got no teacher like, oh, let's play mafia. Oh, okay. Like, that's great. The, the game where one kid pretends to kill a bunch of other kids. That's a great idea. So anyway. <laughs> is that a thing? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You didn't know that? Because no. again, yeah, you were an actual teacher who actually taught. So um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's a game that uh that some teachers will play sometimes where everyone like puts in, in, in the way i've seen everyone the kids put their heads down i guess they put like their thumb up or something like that and then one kid comes around and puts their thumbs down and then the kids have to figure out who who did it or something like that so ah, yeah okay so it's a thing i guess all right well anyway uh now you mentioned mara being a mess and they established that right away and we also learned fairly quickly how she got to this point, because as a hostage negotiator, she's faced with perhaps the one hostage situation someone does not want to have to face, and that's with an immediate family member. And she watches her brother-in-law kill his wife and daughter and then himself. And clearly that's what messes her up is that she wasn't able yeah. to successfully talk him down but now she's given a second chance with the guilt that she feels over what she perceives as as a failure right well and, and also i mean obviously the failure of not saving her sister and her niece but also what appears that her purposefully letting him kill himself and not even attempting to try and stop him from committing suicide Right, right. Now, I think one of the nitpicks I have is that with minimal training, she goes into version 2.0 to try to save Tony, this widow dealing with the guilt over the death of his wife. And, you know, we already established that 2.0 hasn't even been released yet. So we're like, okay, I, I, I guess. And the thing about her her skill is noticing small yet meaningful details and then understanding how they play into the bigger picture. And she's successful because she's able to make a human connection. And certainly what strikes me in this pilot episode, is she going to be able to make this same connection week after week after week? I mean, how many times can she use the death of her brother-in-law, sister and, and niece Right, right. To right. advantage. She, exactly. She she definitely cannot go back to that well every week, right? Right. Um, though it seems like that is going to be obviously a recurring issue with her as she's even seeing her niece now in in the real world. Right, right. And, and you know, we see her throwing away her pills as if she recognizes that 
she has a second chance. She needs to clean herself up if she's going to take advantage of that second chance, which tells us she's not that far gone, which is certainly good. But then, as you said, she starts seeing her dead niece. And though she's told not to, Mara deliberately looks at photos of her niece to purposefully conjure her up. And we learn that this effect is called derealization, and it's described as kind of a ghosting effect. And they tell her how to avoid it, and she just ignores their instructions. So on the one hand, I guess we understand that, that it's a ghost that she wants to confront. But, you know, in, in the end, what kind of effect is it going to have on her? Well, it seems to be having a pretty bad effect, I think. <laughs> yep. All right. Now, now you mentioned Dennis Haysbert, Charlie Ventano, who's her boss, former police chief, who's opened his own security company, and there's only one client, and that is Onira Tech. Right. Now, the other character that I instantly recognize, as I know you did, is Paul Hammond, played by Sendil Ramamurthy from Heroes. And, I, dude, I love him. I loved yeah. him in Heroes. He was like one of the only characters in Heroes that I really liked. Yeah, well, here's where I, I have to confess that I really haven't seen Heroes. I think I watched a little bit of the first episode, but uh, and, and that's it. So he was not recognizable to me, though I saw he was on The Office. I kind of remember his character on The Office. A little bit. But as I said earlier, he was definitely uh, my favorite character in this uh, this episode for sure. Okay. Well, here here's my tip of the week, part deux. Ooh. Just s- save your effort. Don't, don't even watch it. I mean, Heroes is one of those shows that it goes downhill so fast. Right. Y- you might as well be on skis without <laughs> poles. Um, right, but didn't they 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 had like a, a, a like a, a second? Did they have like a little, like a mini series or something like a second they, heroes thing? Or they they did. It's like, dudes, didn't you get it the first time? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we digress. Now, uh, Paul Hammond designs the virtual experiences in Reverie, and he comes across in contrast to Lexi. He's the personable, the human side of the design team, yes. uh, and. and he takes Mara into one of his reveries to basically show her around. And he tells her that he uses reverie to treat his own anxiety and panic attacks, which then goes back to what I said earlier, that one of the things about reverie is that it can be a therapeutic tool. And one of the things we learn from Lexi Barrett uh, played by Jessica Wu, who the only thing I found that she was in was MTV's Awkward, which I have absolutely no idea what that is. But yeah. she's responsible for writing the core program of Reverie. And she's led what I'll call a self-sheltered life. I mean, she is clearly the nerd here. But but she's also kind of like the company girl, you know? like Well, she is... And, and that's also something that gets addressed down the road that, that I'm not going to get into any details right now. But she feels passionately that reverie is not an escape, that it's a bridge to understanding other people. And while on the one hand, that sounds like corporate mumbo jumbo, it really isn't. And her goal is to have everyone in the world 
experience reverie. And, you know, in this episode, we see her stressing over a presentation to investors because, you know, she instinctively knows that she is the antithesis of Paul Hammond. She is absolutely not a people person. But investors generally want to talk to the person behind the design. So so we get that. But, yeah, she comes across as as a bit unlikable. But, again, as we said earlier, that's by design. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, they do throw us at the end there a little bit to, to humanize her and to maybe give her us some insight into her. Um, when also her relationship to her AI, Dylan, where she says, you know, like, we used to play this. So she is, like, equating the AI version of Dylan with, you know, the real-life Dylan. So it's not like, you know... She it's this is some program she's just named after her brother. Kind of in her mind, it is her brother, you know. Sure. Yep. Yep. But like the the guy in the reverie, she fundamentally understands that it's not real. You know, you mentioned the building's AI, Dylan, you know, based on her brother. Uh I mean, even that is certainly something we've seen as far back as Andromeda, where, you know, Andromeda Rami is the ship's AI and in Killjoys, Lucy is the ship's AI. And they do it in uh, um, Legends of Tomorrow as well. Okay. So again, we'll we'll see what they do with it and hopefully they will do something with it. But, you know, for right now, it's, it's not really humanized yet it really does come across simply as an intelligent ai which maybe is a contradiction in terms but um, but, but yeah we we feel that it's more than just an ai right yes like um you know mara has conversations with dylan and it's a kid's voice so it's not like some robotic voice we don't feel like it's you know we 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 feel like dylan is kind of more than just you know a program yeah yeah now the other character and we don't see a lot of her we we will in subsequent episodes and that is monica shaw the department of defense representative played by katherine morris who i know from cold case i don't know if you remember that show um I, well, I, rem- I remember that there was a show called Cold Case. I just never actually watched it. Oh, man, I was hardcore. I loved it. It was like on Sunday after football, I believe. And I, I mean, I'll admit it. I had a little bit of a crush on her character. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she's a character that, that it's really interesting to see how her role and involvement develops over the first five episodes. And, and again, I'll just, just leave it at that. One of the questions that, that comes out of this, why does Mara deliberately conjure up her niece? And, you know, in the end, is it going to help her with her own issues? You know, and, and in terms of, you know, some of the storylines, again, I don't want to uh, spoil too much, but we do find that there's a, a mysterious founder to the company that you know emerges out of the woodwork uh you know we we have a guy that got fired from his job heavily in debt i think i mentioned him somebody trying to reconnect with uh 
you know, family members. So, you know, they're, they're really trying to show the good that reverie can do. Unfortunately, anytime you mess with the human brain, right. You know, you're running a risk. And, and sure. obviously we see that in dollhouse. Right. Well, I, yeah, absolutely. Like we've seen in every single TV show or movie or book or anything ever written about this like it's just not good like and what we said innumerable times with dollhouse is the the idea that you can map the brain or figure out the human brain or consciousness or anything like that is a massive case of hubris because it's just too complex there's just more to it and um you know and certainly dollhouse that was like a big thing like no matter what they tried they really couldn't um completely figure out a a person's brain and we see that here as well that like there's there's very unintended consequences that they're experiencing um and uh you know that's it's all part of this Obviously, you know, pushing the technology out before it's they really understand what they got. Yep. So, well, before we pull out our magenta pens to assign a letter grade, because I was told that red is too threatening. Can't, yeah, I'd use a green one. Okay. Um, anything else you want to bring up? You know, I, I don't think so. You know, like talking about it, I probably like it a little bit more now that I've talked it over. With you, but there's just so many like the the damaged hero, you know, seeing her like doing the pills and the booze, and and then you know the unlikely hero, like uh, you know, like Des Haysbert picking her. She's probably like the worst choice you should have. She's way damaged. Everyone's saying, "Why did you pick her?" and everything. So I'm just you know, like what I found, like the concept of the show is outstanding there's so many places you can go with this but i think in the execution there's just so much that they just completely ripped off from other shows are just like cliche tropes that uh, that that kind of got in the way for me you know especially with all the hugging at the end you know and i'm not i didn't base my judgment of the whole episode just because everyone hugged at the end but this idea like you know, we went through this whole thing and then everything's all nice and good at the end and, and everyone hugs and everything's okay. It's just like, you know, I, I just I just found too much of this, like too many other TV shows, you know? Sure. And, and you know, I can understand using the damaged hero as your protagonist. I, I get it. it. It's been done a million times, but okay. But the way they let it unfold, it was like right there at the beginning, you see her drinking in the classroom, swallowing down pills, as you said. To me, that would have been something to let it maybe appear a little bit more organically through the course of the series. Maybe not even in this episode. Right. Something we learned down the road about her. To to give it to us right away, like uh, she's completely messed up. Uh, And then in, in the end... At the end, by the end of the episode, she's throwing out all the bottles and flushing your pills down the toilet. Which, by the way, kids, do not flush your pills down the toilet. You right. can take them 
to the police station, dispose of them in a safe manner. Like all of a sudden, oh, well, I'm no longer damaged. Well, you know, like I absolutely agree. Like if they did more organically, had it come out more, have her struggle with it more. And and not just after one episode, boom, she's kicked all her bad habits. Well, no, like have her struggle with dependence as she is trying to help other people. I think that that would be great, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe they do. Maybe they do that. Yeah. So I don't know. All right. Now I wrote down what letter grade I think you're going to give. So I'll I'll see if I'm right. So what, what letter grade you going with? I gave it a B. Really? Yeah. Wow. I totally misread you. What'd you think? Well, I had a C. I thought about going C plus and I thought, no, I think he's going to go C. I'm going B minus, which, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I like it. I think it's a show that deserves the viewer. Give it some time because I think a lot of you will really like it. I think the characters are really likable. They become, you know, more compelling as the series goes on. They only have 10 episodes to work with. As I said, I've seen five. I really do think it's worth checking out. Am I going to keep watching it? I don't know. Again, it always boils down to time. Well, you're, you're five in. so you're, I, I know I'm five in well. and I probably will. So, um, yeah. I still got like nine episodes of 12 monkeys uh, on my DVR. I haven't watched yet. So uh, same here. Yep. <laughs> same here. I had to finish up or get caught up on humans right. uh, f- and finish the expanse. So I'm, I'm finally caught up. Do, All right, do, well, you, do you finish Westworld yet? I did. Oh my God. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll uh, tell the listeners in a little bit what, what it is we're going to talk about next week, because obviously Westworld will be part of it. I, I know I've had to say this to you, Numerous times over our uh, friendship. Go ahead. You were right. I never hate hearing it. You were right. (laughs) It was freaking awesome. All right. Well, let's hear what Fred has to say about Reverie. He got his feedback in literally about three or four weeks ago. So uh, let's hear what Fred had to say. Hit it, Freddy. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the very first episode, season one, episode one of Reverie. When I when I watched this uh, this first episode and I just did that uh, a few hours ago, um, I really had the impression uh, it it was a bit like uh, Ready Player One, uh, a, a recent movie uh, about uh, a virtual world. Uh, you were discussing that some podcasts ago. Uh, I thought uh, Wayne did read the book and you were going to talk about it um, in some future podcast. Um, but I really had, uh, had the feeling uh, like Ready Player One for this series. Uh, of course, in uh, Ready Player One, uh, people going into the virtual world is on a nationwide scale and uh, almost everybody is doing that. And it, that also gives all kinds of social problems. In Ready Player One, uh, as expected, there is a big power greedy company behind all of it. Uh, and of course, they are the bad guys. Um, for this series, Reverie, I really wonder how evil the uh, Onira tech company will be. Um, somebody who is nah, evil, I don't know, but not nice, at least, is Alexis, um, the Reverie programmer. I, I, perhaps she's not evil, but just a bit autistic or even Asperger syndrome-like. 
brilliant but socially awkward or at least quite empathy-less. Um, she was quite reminiscent of Bennett Helferson, uh, played by Summer Glau in Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. Um, I'm expecting that this Alexis will get into a catfight with uh, um, the lead actress uh, or the lead role of Mara. Uh, talking about Dollhouse, in my perception, Charlie uh, from Reverie is quite reminiscent of Boyd in Dollhouse, a big African-American handler uh, who is quite alert and critical, but uh, always stays calm. And I don't know how, how big the scale is of Reverie. Uh, it's probably much less than in Ready Player One. But Alexis says at a certain point, seven users isn't an epidemic. It's a fraction of a fraction. Well, if seven is a fraction of a fraction. Um, I was looking up some stuff on IMDb and uh, I noticed that uh, the first 10 episodes uh, you already can see the cast uh, uh, of it, uh, and of course, in the in the first ten episodes, the the five main actors are in it. But if you then look further, there is uh, one actor who is uh, present in four episodes, one other actor in three, uh, and three actors in two. And for the rest of the whole series, uh, everybody that is mentioned is just in one. Uh, and this makes it very likely that this series will follow a case of the week structure. Uh, I really wonder what uh, will be the sequel element in this series. Uh, or will it mainly be uh, episodic? Um, like, uh, for instance, Person of Interest, in which Sarah Sahi, who plays Mara, also uh, has a, quite has a role. Uh, she is in 50 episodes of uh, Person of Interest. Um, who are we going to ship? Well, not clear yet, but could be likely Mara and Paul. Yeah, Paul, of course, is uh, uh, handling her uh, introduction to Reverie and uh, and discusses with her what's, what's all happening and how she feels, etc. So they could get close. If you look at the story of Tony and his terminal sick wife, uh, I found that not so inspiring uh, and quite predictable. It was not the strongest uh, storyline for a pilot. Uh, on the other hand, the advances of uh, uh, it's an advantage um, if the pilot is a, a, a quite simple to follow first uh, episode um, and everybody get acquainted to the to the system. Most impressive in the episode was the scene with Mara and her sister, where her brother-in-law uh, shoots uh, her sister and her niece. It was very well acted by Sarah Shahi. Uh, uh, and in her role as Mara, I really can understand how this disrupted her life in general and her professional life specifically. Uh, the techniques she used uh, to talk her brother-in-law down she daily use, used in her work and uh, the fact that it's this all in her private situation all went wrong uh, is quite devastating I think um, the nitpick I had about this episode that the, the police came in with blazing uh, uh, sirens and uh, that triggered her brother okay this was all for uh, this pilot uh, I'm looking forward to some of the next episodes 
and uh, we'll wonder if it gets uh, a little bit more complicated uh, in the next few episodes. Okay, thanks again for taking uh, this up. Greetings, all the best, Fred. You you mentioned uh, you didn't use the D word derivative, but you know he brings up Ready Player One and Reverie, and, and certainly Ready Player One is more of a worldwide phenomenon, as he points out. But as Lexi points out, she would like to make Reverie a worldwide phenomenon. Though you know, I mean, Ready Player One, it's almost like the internet on steroids, right? And while it is realistic to think we may get there someday. We're not yet. Now, yeah. Well, I, I haven't. So, did you, have you seen the movie yet? I have not. No. Okay, I haven't either. I just read read the book. So, I mean, I found that I, that part of Ready Player One, I, I found very realistic that that the internet could, you know, as you said, get on steroids and and become this, you know, this thing that is basically its own world, right? So. Um, yeah. Whether or not Onira Tech is going to prove to be evil, obviously that's a question that's left on the table. And, you know, it's, it's not something we get an answer to, certainly five episodes in. Uh, what the scale of reverie is going to be, as Fred asks, you know, I don't know. But like you said, there's so many possibilities where they can take this show. Um, you know, I mean, my fear for any sci-fi show, any genre show that appears on NBC is <laughs> more than likely you're one and done. Yeah. It's the only worst is if, if you were on Fox. <laughs> well, right. although truth be told, Fox has gotten a lot better. True. Of late. Yeah. Um, but, right. uh, but yeah, NBC is just, is, is ter- I mean, they've been floundering for so long, just, you know, trying to find something. So yeah, it's, I, I, All right. I, I wouldn't be optimistic about his chances right now fred what the heck are you doing looking at imdb i i, I mean that's yeah. right away that's I, I you know for me that's too spoilery so okay you know you brought that on yourself fred right. now uh who to ship in this show i'm trying to get out of that mindset but it's really <laughs> difficult it's really difficult for well, me. I, I'm not seeing any shipping like from from the first episode. I'm I'm not really seeing that though. You know, Paul is an attractive uh, young man, right? Um, so there might be something there, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I well, don't necessarily see that really. Well, my hope is that maybe we'll get a show that doesn't employ that narrative element because, again, with the fan involvement these days. I just really hate the fact that in so many shows, the stakes for certain characters just aren't there. We know they're not going to kill that character. And then in some shows, they kill them and they bring them back, which drives me bonkers. But we'll see. And I guess what I was trying to say, I think Fred articulated it a little better, is that I think the pilot is pretty easily accessible for general audiences and not just genre fans. That if you like these procedural police type shows, you might be drawn into this. So right. exactly, and that that's kind of like the problem I have with it. Right, is that it's too TV, too tropey, too stuff you see all the time but as you pointed out just there 
Well, of course, that's going to make it more accessible, right? Sure. Because if if I wrote a TV show, it would probably not be successful <laughs> because uh, I'd say, no, don't put any of that crap in there. And then people would say, well, I don't like it because we like that crap. We like the comfort of the mystery of the week or the case of the week or whatever. Which I kind of like, like sometimes I have to admit, like Supernatural especially, I, I kind of enjoy the, the one-offs, right? I like the, the Monster of the Week episodes, literally the Monster of the Week episodes on Supernatural. Um, so I'm not necessarily ag- against that per se, but, uh, but you know, like I said, it's just, uh, you know, like for, for some people, they find comfort in that. Other people find it uh, too cliche and, and that, you know, makes it difficult. Of course, with Supernatural, you're saying that with 260 episodes of hindsight. (laughs) Right, right. All right. Well, anyway, Fred, thanks, as always, for the great feedback. And at this point, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what we're going to do next week. And after that, we don't really know yet. We certainly love to hear some shows you guys think we should take a look at you know we're gonna make no promises but if you want to throw some ideas our way post them on the facebook group but what we're going to talk about next week is science fiction television and the ai search for self and we're going to look at a few shows in particular battlestar galactica humans westworld dollhouse Sarah Connor Chronicles. Sarah Connor Chronicles. And, you know, again, I'm sure some other shows will come up. But if you you guys have any ideas of shows that uh, would fit in there, we're just spitballing right now, but uh, put them up on the Facebook group. That's what we're going to talk about next week. And, you know, if you want to send us some feedback on again, a show you think we're missing or, or just a comment on one of the shows that you know we're going to talk about, again, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. But we'll leave it there, and that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about anything going on in the genre television world. Encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community, and if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails, as always, go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab, which you can get through the website. And as we said, we'll be back next week to talk about sci-fi television and the AI search for self. But until then... Yo, David, next week, I'm going to give you a crash course, just enough to make you dangerous. <laughs>